We are continuing in Acts chapter 9 today. The plan is to wrap up the chapter. Uh, We'll be in verses 32 through 43. If you've got a blue Bible in the center of the table, it's uh, from the center of the table. It's page 1017. In the week ahead, I would like you all to read through Acts chapter 10. Uh, We're going to take the next two weeks to cover Acts chapter 10 verses 1 through 33. So we're going to take two weeks. It's a big passage. But go ahead and read the whole thing this week. We're going to read the whole thing next week when we're together. And uh, we're going to take two sermons on this very long passage. So write those verses down in your worship guide and dig in in the week ahead, please. With all that being said, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Follow along with me. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas. Everyone say that with me. It's hard to say. Aeneas. Okay? We, we did, me and some others did a lot of work to figure out how to say this right. And we're pretty sure it is Aeneas. If you don't like saying Aeneas, you can call him Mr. A. And that will be acceptable. Y'all good with that? All right. So there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Take about four or five minutes, read this passage to yourself, meditate on it, give yourself to it. And uh, when the time is right, your discussion leader will begin the discussion. To uh, the passage that we looked at two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we saw that Paul went and preached in a city, and the Jews tried to kill him, and the Christians got him out of town. And it was like the same story happening twice in different places each time. And... This section, verses 32 through 43, is very similar to that. We have the same thing happen to Peter. He heals someone, 
A miracle takes place, and then a lot of people believe. Now, obviously, this passage is a lot more pleasant than the one we went over two weeks ago. But we see two stories with the same storyline. These days that we are in, here in this last part of chapter 9, are very good and wonderful days for the church. Things are much easier than they were. They had experienced a period of incredible persecution. It had, that, that movement of violence against the church was led by a man named Saul. Well, Jesus saved Saul, and now Saul is building the faith and working to increase the faith that he was trying to destroy. And so last week we saw that people are fearing the Lord. They're walking in the fear of the Lord. They're walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Um, There is a time of peace. And it says, as we covered last week, the church is multiplying. And so these are prosperous, good, pleasant, wonderful days for the church. And Peter is just going around the region where the church is. Since early on in chapter 8, we've seen the church spread out of Jerusalem. It's in the region of Judea. It's up in that neck of the woods called Samaria. It's gone all the way up into Galilee. And things are going very, very well for the church. And Peter is one of the main leaders in the church. It's just going from place to place right now. And so we have two cities here. The first city... Where Aeneas is, is about 23 miles to the west, kind of the northwest of Jerusalem. So for them back then, that was about a long one day's journey on foot. And so that's the first city he's in. But then the other city, uh, Joppa, was about 11 miles. I just turned it on. Yeah. Um, The other city, Joppa was 11 miles to the northwest of that, and that was a coastal town. So we start, between, we start in a city between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean coast, and then we end up on the coast. So we've got two miracles. The first one, Aeneas, y'all, he's paralyzed. You know what that means. There's things that don't work. There's things, there's functions of his body that should operate well that do not operate at all. And apart from a miracle such as this, there's no way to change that, y'all. He's stuck in that bed. And he's been there for eight years. He could not heal himself. The doctors could not heal him. He could not change his lot in life. Now Dorcas or Tabitha, I'll call her Tabitha because that's a more common name for us than Dorcas. Y'all, she got sick. She died. I'd like to know what she was sick with, but we don't know. Y'all, she's dead. Dead people don't just get up and come back to life. You all, these miracles that took place in this passage reveal that God is supernatural. 
He established the laws of nature. The sun comes up and your feet stick to the ground because of gravity. But He is not limited by those laws. He works in the natural and He works in the supernatural. As Christians, we need to pray knowing that He is a God who does supernatural things. And just because we don't see it very often, or just maybe because you haven't ever seen it before, doesn't mean that He does not do it. So God is in the business of the supernatural. He is also sovereign. That word sovereign means that all power is His. The Bible says in at least two different places that He does Everything that he pleases. Anything God wants to do, he just does it. We can't say that for ourselves, can we? Not only is he supernatural, but he is sovereign. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Nothing surprises him. Nothing happens here and catches him off guard. And in Jesus Christ, with the arrival of Jesus... His kingdom is invading this present darkness, you all. And wherever the king is, wherever King Jesus goes, there is healing, there is renewal, and there is restoration in the lives of all who trust him. Don't answer this out loud, but ask yourself this and answer to yourself. Do you need renewal? Is something broken and dead inside of you that needs to be brought to life? Have you been trying to change something and you can't figure out how to do it? This sovereign, supernatural Lord of heaven and earth can change anything. Every one of us in this room is like Tabitha and Aeneas. Are there not parts of you that feel paralyzed? Are there not parts of you that you feel like should be alive, but they, everything just feels dead? there a part of you that's just been laying in bed these last eight years and you haven't been doing what God has wanted you to do and you feel like you don't have strength to get out of bed and you don't know where to get the strength from or maybe you do know that God has a strength but you're just not going to him because you're content with this mediocre experience of Christianity and you don't want to walk in the fullness of it. Y'all, there's some paralysis in this room. There's parts of our hearts and our minds that are not alive to God. And you know I'm right. And I know I'm right too because the same thing's going on in me. As I look into these scriptures... And some weeks I experience this more heavily than others. 
But as I look into these scriptures, I can't help but see that God always wants to reach inside and touch places that we can't touch. Now that doesn't mean that you don't have to do anything. But it does mean you don't have the strength to do it yourself. And that you have to call upon the Lord and let His power go into you. So that everything changes. Alright, let's look at Aeneas. Let's look at his paralysis. Let's look at his healing. You all. This physical healing. This end of paralysis teaches us something about spiritual healing. He was unable to do what needed to be done. He had no strength of his own to do the most basic things necessary for life. You all, all people are unable to come to God. Now, that didn't sit well with you, and I'm glad it did. Let's look at a few verses, and I'm going to prove this to you. You all, think about Adam. He sinned, right? And we all became like him, did we not? None of us obey God as we should. Something happened when he ate that fruit, and all of mankind, including every one of us, became enslaved to sin. People, all people are slaves to something. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. But you all, we are born slaves of sin. In John 8, 34, Jesus says, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And this type of slavery, you don't escape that on your own. There are some forms of slavery in the history of our world. You could escape and get away on your own. But you can't walk out of slavery to sin on your own. In Romans chapter 3, a few months ago, we saw that we are all under the authority of sin. We are under the power of sin. You know, someone sits on me almost every single day of the week. Okay? I got seven kids. Now, every single one of them, and I talked about this a few months ago when we were in Romans 3, but, you know, some of them are harder to get off of me than others, right? But I can still get them all off of me when they want to pile on top. And that day day is going to change at some point. But if if a professional wrestler sat on me, I wouldn't be going anywhere. I would be under his authority and I would be helpless to get out from underneath him. And so it is with us. You all, all people are under sin. In Romans chapter 8, it says that without God's spirit, we cannot be obedient to God. Did you know that? Without the spirit of God. We cannot be obedient to God. I told you all, we can't come to God. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, it says we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. There's the idea of slavery again. 
We are slaves to passions and pleasures. There's things we want. There's things we need. There's things that we desire. There's things that out there that can make us feel really, really good right now. And we're enslaved to that. It calls our name and, and people run back to it, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, We have been captured by the devil to do his will. And in Luke chapter 18, Jesus was talking about how hard it is for people to be saved. And his disciples asked him, Well, Jesus, if it's that hard for people to be saved, then how can anybody be saved? And here's what Jesus said. He said, What is impossible with men or people is possible with God. You all, salvation is of the Lord. I told you no one can come to God. And that is absolutely true until God breaks into their life and until He rescues them and He saves them. You all, we can't get to God on our own. We are just like Aeneas. Y'all, we're, we're paralyzed. And just like Peter came in from the outside to bring healing to Aeneas. So God has to bust into our life before we can come to Him. Did you all know that? Your salvation is of the Lord. Your salvation came upon you from the outside. Did you believe? Did you repent? Absolutely. But the Bible says even that is a gift of God that has been provided to you from God. Your salvation is from the Lord, you all. We were paralyzed. And by paralyzed, I mean we were unable to do for ourselves what we ought to have done. Every command in the Bible is impossible for you to obey on your own strength. You all, God commands things to us. You know what He wants of you. I don't have to tell you all the commands right now. The things that God has told you to do He knows you can't do them. But He provides grace and strength so that you can. And as you drink deep of God's grace and strength, as His grace and strength comes in from the outside, just like Peter came in from the outside, into Joppa and into Aeneas' life, just like that, God saves sinners, you all. God saves sinners. Sinners, The grace comes to us from the outside and it doesn't start flowing to us because we decide to be awesome one day. It starts flowing to us because God is merciful and kind. So, you all, we're unable to save ourselves. Our very salvation, our very forgiveness is of the Lord. But what about our sanctification? What about our gradual and growing righteousness in Jesus? Okay? Last few minutes I was talking to you as if you weren't saved. Alright, now I'm going to talk with you as if you are, knowing that the majority of us, maybe all of us in here, are saved. Okay? You're a Christian. Do you find yourself changing and becoming more like God? Do you find yourself wanting and desiring the things that God wants? Are your deepest desires 
being transformed slowly and gradually because God is in your life? Are there areas of your life that are out of order and you desperately want to see change? And maybe God has changed you in the past, but you aren't quite sure how to make this next change. Change for the Christian takes place the same way the initial change did when you became a Christian. I'll say that again. Change, further, deeper change for the child of God. And I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 40 years. This goes for you too. Further and deeper change for the child of God takes place in the same way that that initial change does. You all, in John chapter 15, Jesus commanded his followers. He says, abide in me and I in you. Remain in me and I'm going to remain in you. And if you look at all of John chapter 15, you see there's there's a branch, there's a vine. You know, and if you, I mean, I'm pruning cucumbers and tomatoes twice a week right now. And if I don't prune them, it's going to go crazy. Well, you know, you prune that thing, you clip that vine off. It's going to die because it's not attached to the root. And Jesus is saying, I'm the root. And you've got to remain connected to me. Jesus goes on to say, and he says, The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains or abides in the vine. And Jesus goes on to say, You can't bear fruit. You can't have change unless you are connected to me. How does the, that, this perceived paralysis that we feel? We're not, as Christians, we're not really paralyzed, but we often feel that way. I think the devil tries to trick us into thinking that we're never going to change. This perceived paralysis can be overcome. By becoming more deeply connected with God. By reconnecting with God. By giving more of yourself to Him. And by drinking more deeply of His Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, Paul says this. He says, walk in the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit he's talking about. Walk in the In the Holy Spirit. Everywhere you go, let the Holy Spirit be rushing into you and rushing out of you. He's coming into you and He's flowing out of you. And you all, that's how you change. That's how we change. That's how this perceived paralysis of the Christian life takes place. You love Jesus and you want to change, but there's a lot in your life that's saying you can't. And I tell you today, you can. You are not a victim of paralysis. Because Jesus is in you and the Holy Spirit is alive and active. So back to Galatians 5.16, Paul says, Walk by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Sin calls your name. 
and you think you have to say yes, Paul's saying you don't have to say yes. You don't have to say yes to whatever sin it is, to the lie, to the sexual sin, to the bottle, to to the drugs, to the cigarette, whatever it is, whatever habit it is, you don't have to keep doing that. Paul says, if you're drinking deep of my spirit and walking in the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then you will not give in to the desires of sin that are in you. Paul goes on to say that the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want. Be honest with yourself. There's a war inside of you, isn't there? You know what ought to be done, but you feel pulled the other way. We all deal with this. Every single one of us. And there are times when we feel paralyzed. God, I can't change. You might be saying to your husband, you might be saying to your kids, I've just always done it this way and I don't know how to do it differently. You might be saying it to yourself. Well, my mom was just like this and her mom was just like this. And she even, my grandma even told me that her mom was just like this. So surely I can't change. You might be thinking your daddy's just like this. Your daddy, y'all, my grandpa was a drunk. All right. And my dad is not. People change. Doesn't mean that they change in every way. You don't have to be like the house you came from. You know I'm right. New things can start with you. Because Jesus and God's Holy Spirit are for you. He is for you. Look, look in Acts chapter 9, verse 34 real quick. Acts 9, verse 34. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. How did the paralysis stop? It was through Jesus. How do we get saved? Through Jesus. How do we overcome sin in our life today? How are we sanctified? Through Jesus. Jesus saves over and over again. Let's look at Tabitha. Her physical death and resurrection is a picture of what takes place in the spirit also. It's a picture of what takes place in people. When they become Christians, her death, her physical death and her resurrection points to spiritual death and spiritual resurrection. Did you all know there's a lot of dead people walking around Gates County? There's a lot of dead people walking around Gates County and they're breathing just like you and I are. But they're dead inside. You can be physically alive and spiritually dead. Did you know that? You can be physically alive and spiritually dead. And indeed, every single one of us, if you're a Christian, 
you were spiritually dead at one time in the past. Before you became a Christian, you did not have the life of God in you. When you got saved, a resurrection took place. Read John chapter 5 and you'll see that in there. When you got saved, a resurrection took place. Life came into you. Y'all know what happened in Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Well, it says this. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Adam and Eve ate the fruit, right? Did they drop dead when they ate the fruit in a physical sense? No. But they cut themselves off from God who gives life. And when they did that, spiritual death took place. And it was at that moment that God started saving sinners, you all. And when God saves a sinner, they reconnect with God, the author of life, and a spiritual resurrection takes place. And that's not just an Old Testament thing. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says that sinners are darkened in their understanding. It says that sinners are alienated from the life of God. It's another way of talking about spiritual death. But sinners are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Look at Acts chapter 9 verse 40. Acts 9 verse 40. And I I really want to know more about what was going on in Peter's mind when this happened. So Peter put them all outside, all the people that were with Tabitha's dead body. Peter knelt down and prayed... And he turned to the body and he said, Tabitha, arise. All right, that word, arise. Keep your mind on that word, arise. And she did what he said, right? She opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and he raised her up. You all, that word, arise, in verse 40 and the word, raised her up at the end of verse 41. Those are the exact same Greek words that are spoken of whenever the Bible talks about Jesus' resurrection. Those are the same words that are used in reference to Jesus' resurrection. You all, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Just like Peter spoke a word over Tabitha and she sprung to life, so Jesus speaks a word over you. And you receive that word. And you believe that word. And you were saved. We were all spiritually dead at one time. And when Christ came in, we reconnected with God. And now we have life. You all, both of these miracles are pictures of salvation, are they not? And sanctification too. But we're unable to come to God, we're paralyzed, but yet Jesus comes to us and all of a sudden we can get get up out of bed for the first time ever. And you all, we're all disconnected from God, the author of life, and we're spiritually dead. And God comes in, we believe, we repent, we obey the gospel, and now we have spiritual life. And you all, when spiritual life comes, you will never, ever be the same. If you're in here today and you aren't sure that you have spiritual life, 
It's so easy to receive it. If you are ready to turn to God and repent of the things in your life, if you're ready to make Jesus your king and accept him by faith, if you will wholeheartedly trust him and grab hold of him, this spiritual life will be yours. Jesus doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care how bad you've been. He knows everything about you even better than you know yourself. And he still wants you. And he still says, you are mine. He still commands you, come to me and I will accept you as you are. You all, that is the promise of the gospel. It doesn't matter how dead you feel inside. Jesus will give you life if you call on him. If you don't know Jesus, would you please call on him today? You don't have to come up front. You don't have to fall down and flop on the floor. You don't have to have some crazy experience. You just talk to God right where you are and you said, Jesus, I want what that preacher's talking about it. I believe in you. I need you. I want it now. Please save me. That's all you got to do. And God saves. So, what is the result of these two miracles? Look at verse 35. All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. So there's two times right there. Look at verse 42. It became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. You all, this happens regularly in the Bible. Miracles take place to grab people's attention. The miracles of the Exodus, back when God parted the Red Sea to judge the Egyptians and set his people free. God did those miracles. Not just to judge the bad guys. But he did those miracles through Moses so that the people would trust Moses. Do y'all remember Elijah the prophet and the widow that he stayed with for a while? That widow's son died. She's already lost her husband. Now she's lost her kid. And Elijah raised her from the dead. And she said to him, I'm sorry, Elijah raised him from the dead. And then the mom said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. You all, Jesus Christ himself said that the miracles he did bore witness that the Father had sent him from up above. You all, the restoration of Tabitha's physical life led to an abundance of spiritual birth. Her life coming into her body led to many believing in the Lord and God's life coming into that spiritual deadness that was inside and changing them. These miracles in the physical are wonderful. They are exciting, but they are not the greater work here. They are important. We need to pray that these things will happen today. If God lays it on your heart to tell some dead person to rise or to tell some mountain to be cast into the sea, then you do that and leave the results up to the Lord. But I want you to know that any and every miracle, any and every good work, point us to the gospel that Jesus Christ is the King and Jesus Christ saves sinners. The restoration of Tabitha's physical life led to an abundance of new spiritual birth. 
and new spiritual life in the communities that they were in. You all, our community is dying and going the way of the devil. Is it not? And the opportunity is before us to show them the power of God. And as God visited His creation, as God reached down from heaven with all the authority that He's been given on this earth, He puts forth His hand, He shows His power. And just like Jesus, and Jesus' miracles got people's attention, so Jesus did the same thing through Peter's ministry. And I believe whether you're working miracles or not, the point is not the miracle, but the point is that Jesus, the King, wants to work through us through good works to grab people's attention so that new spiritual life comes in these dead places right next door to your house and maybe even within your own home. These two miracles and the good works that Tabitha did, okay, she was just sewing clothes for people and giving it to widows who didn't have no money. Even something as basic as that Picture the gospel. The role of good works in bringing glory to God and bringing a lost world to faith is huge. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. You, child of God. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. You are the light of the world. And through our good works, through our life with Christ, we bring that light wherever we go. Jesus goes on to command us in Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others. Don't be a pompous jerk that's all about you and how cool you are. Okay? But you do good works. You let the light of God flow into you. And then it's for other people to see. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. But let... The light of Jesus that is in us shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let the light of Jesus that is in you shine before others so that, you may, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What is it that God is calling you to? Do it. And if you can't, then think about what I said in the first 25 minutes of this sermon. You can't. What about us as a church? What does God want the family of Hope Fellowship to do? Well, nobody else is doing that stuff. I don't care. Why well, we care what other people are doing? Last time I cared what other people were doing, I had the worst two years of my life. It was 
bad, y'all. I don't want to do that again. I don't care what other churches are doing. What is God telling us to do? Let our light shine. Let the light of Christ come in. Individually and as a church. And let's go out. And let's tell paralyzed people to get out of bed. And let's tell dead people to get up. And let this city, let this little time, this city, shoot. Let this little rural redneck Gates County neighborhood. Let this time, let this county give glory to God in heaven. Because God is raising dead people and doing incredible things all around us. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name.